Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Very excited about my uh, guest today. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad we finally made it happen. You may already know of her. You probably have read some of her books, The Universe Has Your Back, Super Attractor, The New One, Happy Days, which we're going to dive into, a spiritual teacher, New York Times bestselling author, Gabby Bernstein. Welcome to Soul Talk. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. Long time coming. A long, long time, coming. time coming. Hopefully, uh, I get to give you a hug in person at some point. That's right. I know. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, look, I just I, there's so, many, so much I want to dive into. I know we have a pretty focused time. Um, I would love to just start off with a quick sense of like, what started your spiritual path? I'm always curious about the impetus, the motivation, and people's beginnings. So let's just start there, and then we're going to veer right. Yeah, I love this question because I have a really beautiful answer to it. Mm. I was brought up in a really spiritual home because my mother was a serious spiritual seeker. Mm. And she's she's a she's a real hippie, she still is, and was definitely of that age of looking for connection beyond her physical sight, and seeking it in the ashram, seeking it on her meditation pillow. And my mother was a devotee of Guru Mai and the Siddha Yoga movement, and so she would bring me up to South Fallsburg uh, to the ashram and my brother bring the two of us and we would be named by the guru and meditate in the ashram. And it's funny because I don't talk about this much, so it's a cool Mm. story, but I remember really being drawn to that environment and loved going to places like Omega Institute or Kripalu, these spiritual centers. Like I loved being in that space. But there was a time I recall where I was, my nervous system was really shocked as a child, which we'll get into based on my own childhood experiences mm-hmm. of trauma. But at the time, when I would enter into some of these spiritual environments, I would become flooded with anxiety and overwhelm. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time, didn't totally understand why. And as I got older, my mom started to explain to me that I was really sensitive and I was picking up a lot. And what I might have been picking up was some of the sadness and uh, the longing that a lot of people Mm. have when they come to a spiritual ashram or a spiritual center. Often we end up in these environments seeking that kind of 
relief, that that spiritual relief. Of course, we get to a place where we're going to these environments to to seek a greater elevation of that spiritual connection. But often these these spaces can attract a lot of folks who are in in a crisis. And to help me understand that at the time I was not old enough to to get it or didn't have enough personal growth behind me as a kid Mm -hmm. to understand how to protect my energy. And I was like a sponge. Mm. I was was sponging this this energy. Mm. Mm. Got it. Wow. And then, um, so how was, I'm curious, how was that being around like such a young age, being around like Guru Mai and some of these sort of beings, these people? Like, what was that experience? Because that's pretty cool. I used to yeah. have dreams of like Muktananda and getting Shaktipat in my dreams as a kid. So, but I, yeah. I never got to meet some of these people as a kid. So I'm just curious what that was like when you met, I, when you met her. I remember being named by Guru Mai and walking up to her and, and seeing this guru on her chair and being surrounded by all her devotees and seeing my mom so enthralled in her presence. Mm. And I really felt at home in that space. I felt like, oh, okay, this is not like, you know, a kid might think, oh, that's weird or, you know, what the hell is my mom doing? I actually didn't feel that way. I felt like this is something that's familiar to me. Mm. But in the same breath, it was extremely overwhelming because I was picking up a lot of the energy mm. and I didn't know how to establish those boundaries for my own energetic safety. Mm-hmm. That's an important message, I think, for folks who are spiritual seekers that do find themselves to spiritual centers or ashrams to just go in knowing that while it's a very sacred space and can be extremely heart opening and elevating, it can also be a place where there can be a lot of uh people in crisis, people in transition, people stuck in fear, and a lot of energy. And so very much go in with the expectation that you're going to want to protect your energy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you're opening up in that way. How did, so so how did the sort of transition into you being a spiritual teacher, an author, spiritual teacher, speaker, how, how did that how did that happen? Did you just continue evolving as a kid or was there something that occurred, an event, yeah. a moment? I became a spiritual teacher when I was 14 wow. and I began, I was the president of the regional youth group in my community, the Jewish youth group. I went to a Jewish sleepaway camp. I was very involved in my temple and Sunday school and it was sort of this intuitive desire to connect spiritually. And of course, as I mentioned, it was something that was valued in my household. And I made the commitment to be the president of this regional youth group. I would lead these weekends with hundreds of teenagers, Jewish teenagers, coming together from all around the region. And I became like this this Sherpa, (laughs) teenage Sherpa, but really... I look back and it was no different than the career path that I chose. Mm, mm. It was ingrained in me. It was intuitively guiding me. It was something I I am a born leader Mm. and I was really a seeker from a very young age. Mm. And I found, well, I'm not quite, not very religious. I love Judaism and I love the culture 
And I love it so much because it actually was my first personal connection to spirituality. What I loved most about the, my Jewish youth group experiences and going to a Jewish camp was was the music, was the the dancing, was the the services and the connection, and all that is God. It's beautiful. And how did the transition occur to like you writing your first book and you saying, okay, mm. I'm going to, this is going to be a career. Mm. You know, that, that's another transition. Well, I had a career before this career and it was quite the opposite of what mm. I'm doing now. And that career was, I worked, uh, I started my first company when I was 20 and it was a nightlife oh. PR company. So I was <laughs> representing nightclubs. And it was at a time where I actually kind of turned my back on my spiritual path uh, because I was looking for my worth in the wrong places, mm. in my credentials, in my my ability to get past the velvet ropes at the nightclub, in my business card saying president on it at 20 years old, being a female entrepreneur. And I got very hooked into that nightlife scene and while I didn't realize it at the time, I was actually really trying to survive impermissible fears and experiences from my childhood. Mm. And when my control mechanisms no longer worked, I turned to drugs and alcohol. Mm. And using drugs and alcohol became temporary relief for impermissible fear. Yeah. By the time I was 25, I was severely addicted to cocaine. Wow. A daily habit of cocaine. Wow. I was 95 pounds. I was wow. running my business into the ground. I was losing all of my relationships. Mm. My family didn't recognize me. Mm. I didn't have any real friends at that time. But I always knew that I wanted to be a spiritual teacher. Mm. And I had this stack of self-help books next to my bed that really were just what I would turn to when I was coming down from drugs. Journals and self-help books and Deepak and Marianne Williamson and I had A Course in Miracles and I had every book next to my bed. Wow. And I would be at after hours parties in my apartment with strangers and I'd be pointing at those books and I'd say, oh, wow, you know, I'm going to be a motivational speaker and a self-help book author. And these people would be like, yeah, go F yourself. Like, nice job. <laughs> and by the grace of God, on October 2nd of 2005, I had a spiritual intervention and I, I said a prayer and that prayer was God or universe, whoever is out there. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I'm, I'm dying. What led to that? Was there, was there like a... I had down? attempted to get sober. I had tried to not drink and I tried to not use and <clears throat> it just kept coming back and kept coming back. And that day was after like a week or two of being in being in therapy with an addiction specialist and trying white knuckling it trying to to not use and then that friday night like winding up out snorting coke and getting home at one in the getting home at like five in the morning mm -hmm. and being on my knees and saying okay I, I, my will is not going to get me out of this i need a miracle and i heard what i know now to be a spirit guide say to me get clean and you will live a life beyond your wildest dreams. And that day I called a friend who I knew wanted to get sober as well. And I said, let's go try that meeting that we heard about. We went to a 12-step meeting mm -hmm. and um, 
last week I celebrated 17 years of sobriety. Wow, wow. congratulations. Um, for, for those that might be in that position, maybe they feel they know what they should do, they feel stuck, maybe it's they're facing an addiction and they feel like they've tried everything. Um, maybe they even feel like they've tried to surrender, but they're still, they're still stuck. Um, I'm curious based on, you know, the 15, 16, 17 plus years of experience since you started teaching, um, where could they start? Where could they begin for the Mm -hmm. person that feels like they feel really stuck and they've even, Mm -hmm. maybe they've even said like, God help me. And they still feel stuck. Like Mm -hmm. where do they start? Well, first keep saying, God help me because Mm -hmm. that willingness is what, what opens the invisible door. And if you don't believe in God, just 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 keep wake up every day and say, I'm willing to heal. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to heal because that commitment and conviction to the desire and the willingness is what mm-hmm. allows your subconscious to open up to creative possibilities. When we tr- when we're not in that state of willingness, we're walking around trying to control an addiction, Mm. trying to manage our patterns, behaviors, reactivity. Whereas if we become willing to see it differently, willing to receive guidance, we are actually opening an invisible door of spiritual support. So without the desire and the willingness, one cannot get clean and sober in a way that will be long lasting. They may be forced into treatment. They might be forced into 12 step. They might, you know, white knuckle it for a while, but they have to become willing. Mm. And that goes for anyone, whether it's sobriety or even just becoming a a devotional spiritual student or, or person on a personal growth path. Your willingness is a requirement. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for the person that's willing, because um, cause I know a few folks that are willing, and yet as willing as they are, they still keep seeming to sabotage themselves. Mm, of course. Can you, talk yes. a bit about, can you talk a bit about this, what you've kind of experienced, understood about this, this pattern of sabotage and, and how we, yes. how do we deal with that? Because like, I'm willing and yet, ah, oh, shit, here I am again. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, and, they're, and they're really sincere. They're really yeah, well, sincere. well, well. Listen, without the willingness, it won't be sustainable. But it's not just the willingness, right? So you're willing, and that opens up your conscious awareness to potential opportunities for healing. Maybe someone's willingness led them to listen to us today. Maybe someone's willingness opened up their awareness that there was, you know, this this online coaching practice, or it led them to a therapist, or whatever that might be. But the next step is to actually take the direction that you receive. So if you become willing and humble enough to receive support, and then you get the message for the support, whether it comes through a therapist or comes through a podcast or whether it comes through a book, whatever that might be, it's your job to then take action on that method or whatever you were guided to. Because, okay, I had the willingness and the willingness is what brought me to my knees. And the willingness is what got me into the 12-step meeting. And the willingness is what kept me coming back. But that was, there was, but then there was the commitment. 
the commitment to get a sponsor, the commitment to stay clean, the commitment to go to meetings, the commitment to do a service, the commitment to my spiritual practice, the commitment to reading and learning and and growing, the commitment to therapy for three decades, right? So you got to you got to say yes. So you become willing and then you have to say yes to what's presented to you. Mm-hmm. And you have to be in a daily commitment to that yes. Mm-hmm. It's not just something you can be like, oh, one time I dabbled. Because yeah. those dabblers are just going to wind up right back where they started. Mm-hmm. The true personal recovery, and we all we all need true personal recovery. We, all of us have trauma with a big T or trauma with a small T. Big T trauma could be like mine that was revealed in happy days of of, of remembering being sexually abused as a child. Mm. There's small T trauma that one might have pushed under the rug for many years, and that could be the experience of being bullied Mm. or being told you weren't good enough or feeling neglect. But the trauma in our life is what's running our is what's running our protection mechanisms, protector parts. It's running the addicted part. It's running, it's running our lives with all the ways that we control. And all of these bad habits or addictive habits or coping mechanisms are merely just parts of us that are in place to protect us from feeling the impermissible childhood wounds of feeling unlovable, inadequate, frozen, terrified, traumatized. Mm-hmm. So true. So when someone, let's say, becomes starts becoming aware of some of the trauma, um, these aspects of us, what do we do? What do they do? How how do how do they begin healing those parts? Well, I think that it's beautiful that you called them parts. My training and teaching these days is specific to internal family systems therapy, which Mm -hmm. is based on the premise that we have many different parts of who we are. Mm -hmm. And the addict is a part. The controller is a part. The the part, the, the dissociative part that numbs out is a part. And these parts of ourselves are protection mechanisms that were built up to protect us from feeling the exiled feelings of our childhood wounds. Mm. Those are exiled parts, those child parts that were like, can't feel that. I'm going to lock you up, put you under lock and key, never have to feel that again. So I'm going to become a drug addict or I'm going to control every detail of my life. I'm going to be an overachiever or I'm going to overeat or I'm going to to use sex or I'm going to uh, you know, be a perfectionist. And all of these ways that we manage our life, really manage our feelings so that we don't ever have to face into the impermissible terror, fear, and experience of feeling inadequate and unlovable. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So how does one heal that, right? Yeah. How uh, does one, because it could, can sometimes feel a little scary because if, if all I know is being dissociated and that's protected me from feeling pain, it's like, well, how can I let that go? How do I let that go? And how will I survive without that mechanism? And so yes. sometimes it's, it's like, I don't want to say easier to hold on to it, but feels safer to hold on. Oh, to yeah. Safer. You don't let go that quickly. Mm-hmm. You thank that part of you for its great service. Mm-hmm. You make a commitment to that part of you that you're going to 
start to heal the underlying wounds. Mm -hmm. And you start to become curious about that part of yourself and start to tap into the compassion that you may have towards it. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole process of working with these parts that I introduce in my book, Happy Days. And the answer truly, and it's I'm really proud to be able to say that this is my answer to someone. And it's it's gonna it's gonna come out the right way because you know it's on its face it may sound like, oh, she's just selling me her book. No, I would give it to you if I could. And the answer really is read Happy Days, the guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace. And I can say that with conviction, I can say that with pride, I can say that with a full body knowing that this book will heal. It will because it's the story of how I healed myself through trauma therapeutic practices, through spiritual awakening, through body-based models, through bio, you know, biochemical su support, through all of the different paths that I have taken to undo the traumas of my past and become free in this present moment. And I've said this on every interview that I've done about this topic in this book is that there's no way I would have put my face and my name front row and center on the cover of a book that said Happy Days, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace, unless I had fully lived it. Mm -hmm. There's no way. I, I knew I wanted to write this book about five, six years before I did, and I knew I couldn't until I was ready. But it is just that. It's the guided path. And back to your point of how scary it is for those protector parts, the dissociated part, the addict part, to think, oh my God, well, if I am no longer in this role, what will happen? Yeah, what will happen? How will I function? How will I survive? How will I How survive, will I right? Because that role is set up in such a way that it is the survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. When the irony is it's also the part of us that's killing us. And so what this book will do is it will take you by the hand and it will literally guide you every step of the way, gently, slowly, with my compassion and my commitment and my curiosity and my connectedness and clarity, all of that energy coming through the page will show you step by step, here is the guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace. And readers might want to return to certain pages. Readers might look at that book and say, I know it's for me, but I had to read it in a year from now. Some people may say, I got to read it first before I can even apply it. Some people may say there's parts of this that are really resonating and I'm going to leave the rest. All of the above. But it is a transformational trauma book of our time because it's not written from the clinical perspective. It's written from the patient's perspective and the spiritual student's perspective and the perspective of someone who is a survivor of trauma. You, me you mentioned the word, I think it was um, a moment ago, compassion, loving, compassion, loving those parts. Mm -hmm. And so like, could you speak to, because many times we, we, we become aware of these parts of ourselves that need sabotaging, hurting us, limiting us. Mm -hmm. And then we, we hate these parts because they're screwing up our relationships, you know, they're causing us pain. And when someone hears, okay, love these parts, but Gabby, I freaking don't love this part. It's, it's messing up my life. 
how, how can they be, how can we begin to develop compassion for that part of ourselves that we, we hate, you know, we don't like mm. it's, it's seemingly causing us pain. Yeah. Even though I, what, what, how, how, do, how do we, how do we make that shift? Yeah. Well, there's in IFS an interview series where the therapist helps you interview your parts. Mm. And getting to know your parts is the way to open up to the possibility of what's known as self-energy, self with a mm. capital S, which is the compassion, which is the these C qualities, creativity, connectedness, calmness, feelings of uh, courage, all of those C qualities are self. You might call it higher power. You might call it God. You might call it your inner parent, your adult resourced self. It is the internal parent that we all have. And the more we start to get to know and become curious about the part, the more self energy we extend to that part. And just like with a toddler, you know, I have a four-year-old child mm. and if I just go to him and I'm like, you know, feel this way, right? <laughs> like he's going to be like <laughs> tantruming. And, but the moment I become curious about his experience and compassionate and empathetic towards it and become, you know, help him open up to creativity, like, well, if we can't have that now, what else could we do? You know, mm -hmm. giving him that creative idea, he can then connect to his, he, uh, my self energy can help him connect to his own self energy. Now, with adults, the more you become curious and start to interview these parts and get to know them and help them calm down, really, the more self-energy can come through. So the way that you'd interview a part is you'd start with find, right? But what you would do is you would find in your body, you know, where is this part located? And you'd focus on it and notice what is there? What do I need to know about it? What is... Is it, is it have a voice? Does it have an age? Does it have mm -hmm. a gender? Flesh it out more. You know, what is, is there a sound? Is there a color? Going deeper into the curiosity. And then really then at that point you can, and I'm rushing all of this, it's something you would do in a therapy session, but you can check in with how do I feel towards that part? And it's mm -hmm. often that, you know, I hate it. I don't want it there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then you might start to notice a little bit of self coming through. Well, I do feel compassion towards it. I'm, I am more curious about it. Or, you know, and the second you mm -hmm. hear one of those C qualities, then it opens the door to go further into the process of befriending that part, mm. starting to lean into more of that self to part connection. Mm. Beautiful. Um, you mentioned you have a four-year-old. Um, you. It's beautiful. I'm curious how uh, motherhood has transformed you or changed you and what, based on your four years of being a mother, um, what advice, guidance, insight you could give to those listening that are parents uh, that would help them raise their children in a conscious way? Beautiful know? question. Yeah. yeah. Motherhood has made me a better human, mm. a better leader, a better teacher, a better spiritual student. Wonderful. Motherhood has helped me become a better writer, a better speaker, a better wife, a better 
energetic presence in the world Mm. has changed me at my core. The early days of my motherhood were beautiful and divine in that I had a very life-threatening postpartum depression and anxiety experience that became the catalyst for my absolute greatest healing. Mm. And so while that was horrific at the time, I can look back and say thank you to the parts of me that became overly anxious and and insomnia and depression and biochemical conditions. I can say thank you. It's divinely Mm. planted to get me to where I am now. My son is my greatest teacher. And what he has done for me is not only has he opened and exploded my heart to the greatest love you'll ever know, Mm. but he has also offered me the opportunity to, on a moment-to-moment basis, practice what I preach. Yes, yes. Be in the presence. Remain in the energy of self that compassion, that courage, that curiosity, that creativity to give myself grace when I F up and to make a repair with him, to learn more as a teacher, to become a greater student and Mm. educator when it comes to the human condition and psychology, because all therapists are doing is undoing the past. And same with spiritual teachers. Like what we're here to do is help people undo the historical trauma and storylines. And so as a parent, with that awareness and that education, I have the ability to be at the front line of it, molding a human being with presence and awareness and Mm. practicing what most people don't get. And in return, bringing those practices of parenting to my readers, to my students, to my 40, 50-year-old, 25, 30-year-old mm-hmm. audience. Yeah. Saying, oh, you know what? You did not have Gabby as your mom. You did not have Zach as your dad. You did not have that, that you know, self-help book author who was committed to this work, right? Or or any or any parent who's on that path of, you know, really tending to the care, the, the care of a child's feelings. And so as a student of mine, you get to learn how to reparent yourself. So that's probably the greatest gift I've been given is just this greater up-leveling of my ability to help people self-soothe. And my advice to parents is to get educated about child psychology, to read books by Dr. Dan Siegel, to even reading Happy Days. I introduce Dan's work and I talk about how reparenting yourself is a huge part of the process. If you even practice that chapter in Happy Days, you can then start to apply it to your child. I practice positive discipline, which is very much based on the Montessori model. I practice all of Dan Siegel's work. I love Dr. Becky is an amazing resource. I've had her on my podcast. Dr. Aliza, who's another podcaster on Dear Media. There's incredible people doing divine work in the the child psychology space, and I would get educated. Mm-hmm. Because what will happen is not only will you have the tools to support your child, but you'll, you know, it's it just in return, you're going to be like, wow, I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. And that was actually what happened to me, Coot. I was, I was during COVID like at home with this like two-year-old at the time. And I was like, what? Do, oh my God, like what's going on here? I got to work. I got to, and his big feelings and he started to have tantrums. I didn't know what to do. So I started reading Dan's books, Dan mm-hmm. Siegel. 
And I was like, connect and redirect. And like the four S is like to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And I started using these tools and they worked so well. And I just kept thinking to myself, oh my God, I didn't have that as a child. Like what a bummer. I didn't have any of that. I felt sorry for myself. And then I was like, yo, Gabby, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Give that to yourself. Yeah. What a healing journey. Wow. Yeah. And I wrote a whole chapter about reparenting yourself using those models. Yeah. I'm so curious. You mentioned, um, hope it's okay to, to, to ask this, but yeah. um, the postpartum. And, you know, I don't know, as a guy, maybe it is, but, you know, I, I don't think it's really talked about in our culture. At no, least, no. At least no. I don't hear much about it. And, no. and I kind of hear women talk about but but it's not like openly talked about. And I'm yep. beginning to understand, shit, a lot of women go through this. And so oh, yeah. I'm really curious, like, here you are, this spiritual teacher, best-selling author. You said postpartum depression, life. I mean, I heard you say life-threatening. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had suicidal ideation. Yeah. And so, could you speak to like what what was happening, and 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 then how how did you navigate that and move through it, and how like because because you you're not just someone who like yeah I I run a real estate company like you you're, you're having to inspire and be an example and teach other people whilst going through this? Like, mm. how did you navigate your own? And then I'm curious how, how you navigated being there for other people at the same time. Yeah. Um, and for your breastfeeding child. <laughs> and for your kids, um, right? Yeah. Look, you know, I'll preface this by saying that there are a lot of different levels of postpartum depression. Postpartum anxiety is a form of postpartum depression, which a lot of people don't know. Like I was like, well, I'm not depressed. I'm just overly anxious. And that anxiety is making me agoraphobic. It is giving me insomnia where I didn't sleep for 40 nights. I, you know, and then all that's making me depressed. So because it wasn't like just dark hole depression, it was but it was mainly driven by anxiety, I actually didn't even know that that was a diagnosis. And mm -hmm. postpartum anxiety is a form of postpartum depression. And of course, it leads to, to depression, like severe depression and suicidal ideation in my case. And so uh, in my case, I think that that a lot of women have postpartum depression for biochemical reasons, much like I did, because in my case, I had all the resources. I had a night nurse who was living with us. I had a nanny who was starting three months later. I had the ability to step away from my business. I had a husband who worked at home with me. I had you know, a team of people supporting me. I had, I had Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson on speed dial. I could have called you. I could have called any spiritual teacher or therapist on the planet. And I had every resource. And none of that was going to save me from this. Wow. And it's important for me to say that because, you know, you could be like, oh, well, I've got these resources. And that was actually one of the things that kept me from getting help for so long is I just kept being like, well, I'll try this acupuncture or this supplement or this this medium or this energy healing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, finally, I hit such a bottom that my therapist had an intervention with my husband and said, she's having a biochemical condition and she must be medicated right away. Wow. I then finally became humble enough to say, all right, like, you know, I was brought up homeopathic. I'd never, I'd never gone to the drugstore for a medication before. Mm -hmm. And here I was now about to go take an anti-anxiety medication. And I had a lot of shame around that because of the world that we're in. 
And I talk about that very openly. The wellness space puts a lot of fucking shame around meds. And I want to end that. Mm. I want to end that mm. because medication saved my life. Wow. It saved my marriage. It saved my business, my career, my mission-driven work. I wouldn't be here with you. I would be dead if it were not for anti-anxiety medication. Wow. Or I would have been in a psych ward being mm. pumped anti-anxiety medication. Mm. That's where I was going. I was I was on my way to the psych ward. I mean, probably weeks away. Okay. Wow. And I and I and you know, now as a survivor of postpartum depression, I have I am a first responder. So I will get phone calls from a friend of a friend from the psych ward saying they said I could talk to you and I will. I will always pick up the phone for somebody who is in that state. Mm -hmm. I will. I am on a mission to be a voice for this condition. And many women who may be having, you know, severe anxiety and terror and fear and insomnia, it also could just be circumstantial as well. And you know what? Medication can support you for a period of time too. Because when you don't have help at home, when you don't have financial resources, when you don't have a partner that's there for you, when your child won't latch, when you're not sleeping, all of that will lead to mania. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, it's, a, it's a huge, huge, huge issue. People don't talk about it enough. And as someone who had all the resources, yeah, they weren't yeah. going to work. They yeah. weren't enough. Wow. It had to be a psychiatric support system. Mm -hmm. And thank God for it. Of course, you know, we live in a culture where medication is overused and abused, but so is spirituality. Yeah, so is spirituality, meditation. You know, so is microdosing. Yoga. So yeah. is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. all right, so you're going to like microdose every weekend, but you won't take antidepressants. Like, mm -hmm. okay, look at that, you know, and that's a controversial thing to say in our space. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that God works through all of it. And mm -hmm. anything that we use as a tool to heal that's not in an extreme way or abusive yeah, or addictive yeah. way is what's meant to be. How did you navigate that? Like, were you teaching at this time? Were you like, like, dude, yes, I was very much in it. I was preparing. How, how, how? Gabby, how, like, 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 how, like, well, as a teacher, like, how were you teaching at this time at the same the, time as going through that? The first three months, I had four months of severe depression and anxiety. The first three months I was on maternity. So it just started to progressively get worse and worse and worse. And by the four, fourth month, I was starting to go out and give talks again. And my bottom actually was when I had to, when I had full-blown insomnia all night and I, the, the lights came through the shades in the morning and I had to text my, my publisher and say, I'm not going to be at the talk that I have today. I, I was the first time in 20 years that I had cancel the talk. Mm. I was like, I'm not going to be there. And that was my bottom. I mean, you would have thought that it would have been like anything else, but not showing up was my bottom. And that day I called a friend who was a psychiatrist and I was like, I think that, you know, you know, mercy, I need help. And he put me in touch that day with a postpartum psychiatrist. And within five minutes, she diagnosed me with PPD and PPA. And I went, walked out the door with a prescription. Mm. Mm. I'm so glad you're talking about this stuff, honestly. Um, and, you know, here's an important point. The, the words that helped me take that prescription and walk it to the, to the pharmacy were this. She said, I know you're really resistant to this medication because of your upbringing, your spiritual beliefs, whatever that may be. But hear me. You've done a lot of hard work therapeutically and spiritually on your trauma. But this medication will give you a safer baseline to do deeper trauma healing. Mm. 
And boy, did she nail it. Because mm. with the medication, I could finally ease my system because I live with an undiagnosed anxiety disorder from PTSD for decades. For the first time in the, my life, I could settle enough mm. to have the safety and the bravery to go to deeper places that needed to be healed. Beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. Um, I have two final questions for you, Gabby, if it's okay. Um, as a spiritual teacher, I, I would love to know... Um, what you wished you knew 20 years ago, based on what you know now, looking back, for those that say, oh, I, want to, I want to be a spiritual teacher, I want to be an author, like, like if you were, is there, is, are there one or two things you wished someone had told you about being a spiritual teacher, author, speaker, for those that want to go into this industry? Well, I could, I could give my younger self advice and I could share that for your listeners. Yeah. But the real answer is nothing mm. because I wouldn't change any step of my trajectory, good and bad. Yeah. And I've been yeah. through a lot of shit, man, you know, but I wouldn't change any of it because if I were to change it, I wouldn't be here right now the way yeah. I am. And I wouldn't be the teacher that has this integrity today. And I wouldn't have been the teacher I was five years ago with that energy because that part of me served really well, even though I might have been suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, we can be doing really healing work in the world and still be suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, I really acknowledge you for just being so, um, what's the word, vulnerable, transparent in sharing mm -hmm. like what you went through and even be, having to take medication because so many let's say spiritual teachers who go through shit are never that honest, never that raw, never that vulnerable. So thank you. You know, it's a really uh, inspiring to hear as an example. Final question. Uh, this is something I ask everyone. Um, if you were to reflect on your entire life at this point, everything you've been through, up, downs, positive, negative, everything in, in your soul's journey. If there were, let's say, if you were to be able to distill the three most maybe there's more, but the three most important life lessons that you feel, if you could only share these three keys with your son, with the next generation, that these three keys mm. would, would evolve his consciousness mm. the most, what would the three Gabby keys be? I'm curious, mm. at least today, you know, maybe different tomorrow, but, but today. Self-compassion. Mm -hmm. The courage to grow and heal. And the commitment to be a loving force in the world. Beautiful. Self-compassion, courage to grow and heal, commitment to be a loving force in the world. Beautiful. The three keys. Uh, Gabby, I've really loved this conversation. Me and, too. Uh, I think it's about so time uh, we, I give you a hug in person. Seriously. I just love um, you, sweetheart. And yeah. what a nice energy and you're such a beautiful interviewer and so gorgeous. I cannot wait to meet you in person. I really, I really feel your heart, you know, and I really get why people are inspired by you and, and you touch people. So I'm sending right you much back love. At you. Send right you much love you. and blessings and, and, and just keep vibing higher. What's the best way people can get in contact with you? I know Happy Days is out. So everybody get Happy Days. Go, uh, grab go to happy Amazon, days. grab that. And best website yeah. people can contact. I mean, honestly, go to DearGabby.com. Listen to my podcast, Dear Gabby. It's, it's one of the greatest contributions I've given to the world. And I'm so proud of it. 
And it's my way of coaching folks through my podcast. And go listen. Go enjoy. DearGabby.com. Or just Dear Gabby on Apple or Spotify or wherever you are. Beautiful. Beautiful. Folks, you heard it. Um, Amazing episode. Share this episode with with everyone in your life that you feel needs it. I feel many, many folks need to hear this message and this particular episode with the amazing Gabby Bernstein. Uh, Get happy days and send me an email, Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. I want to hear your key takeaways from today's special episode. See you next week. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.